in every country. Trees, you know we can work together and learn what we need to meet the challenge. Traditional skills and modern techniques. Whatever language you speak, you have a world to offer every day. Climb with the ISA. Welcome to the ISA Science of Arboriculture podcast series. This is Tom Smiley at the Bartlett Tree Research Laboratory, host of Science of Arboriculture. This podcast series was developed by the International Society of Arboriculture to bring you the latest in tree care information. Today's lecture is by Philip Van Wassener, president of the consulting firm Urban Forest Innovations. His talk focuses on using a static pull test to assess tree stability. This lecture was originally presented at the Tree Biomechanics Symposium held in Kent, Ohio in August 2010. I'm going to talk about uh, testing tree stability using the engineering-based tree pulling test, and this is sort of a follow-on to Andreas. You may see a couple of overlap, hopefully not too much. Um, but I'm, again, I'm a practitioner. I'm, uh, I'm using, I've been using this method. Uh, I went over, actually, the, the first event in North America about tree biomechanics was in Savannah, Georgia, uh, in, I think, 2000 or 2001. And uh, I borrowed money from my parents to try and get there, um, specifically to meet uh, Eric Brody, who was coming to talk about polling tests and, and this methodology. And in my consultancy, I, I focus on uh, tree risk assessment, and I had been looking for how to move forward with um, trying to get better answers to the questions of our trees um, safe in terms of, uh, or, or at risk in terms of breaking in the stem or uprooting. And um, so after a long journey, many trips to Germany as an apprentice and working uh, closely with Andreas and his partner, Eric, um, I, I got to be uh, a practitioner of this methodology. And so I use it uh, in, in, in my practice to try and address this issue of tree safety and I have a particular focus in, in the conservation of, of old heritage veteran trees. And of course, once trees get to a certain age, they start to have, um, let's say, issues. I, I don't like to use the term defect because I think trees aren't defective. They just have, the, all of these things are natural in trees. Um, they, we use the term defective, I think, mostly in the risk mode where um, if a tree fails, it could have a consequence to us as humans. But for trees, holes and root problems aren't really an issue. In fact, uh, that helps the sort of genetic evolution. The weak ones get sorted out and the strong ones move forward. Um, so, as I said, just a little bit about me. I've been, uh, I've been hanging around in trees since I was a kid. Um, I took that passion for trees to rock climbing. I rock climbed uh, all around the world for quite a few years, a climbing bum, one might say. And uh, then someone told me that I could actually get paid to climb trees. So I started doing that when I was a student. And uh, then that sort of helped me to uh, focus where my career might go. So I worked as an arborist for years. And then I went back and got my master's and started working as a consultant. So I now run a consultancy. And we do a variety of things uh, from single trees to urban forest management plans for whole communities. Um, so. 
when we're talking about big trees and big tree failure, the main, the main ones that we're um, concerned with is um, first fracture, um, often caused by internal damage. Uh, and and this, as we know, some of these internal damages are hard to see from the outside. Um, and then what I'm focusing on today is the uprooting. And um, so we have uh, root damage or root decay that weakens the tree's ability to stand up. And in my practical side of things, I find that a lot of my tree pulling tests have to do with tree stability. In the urban uh, setting, we've got trees that have restricted root areas, trees that have decay problems. And of course, we have the curse of construction, um, which, which often uh, encroaches on the root systems of trees and damages them. And we're left with the question, is this tree safe to retain or not? And uh, so we know um, basically about trees and their root systems. Um, it's not the old paradigm where the root system is a reflection of the tree upside down. In fact, we know that um, roots are more like a big pancake around the tree, uh, extensive and lots of fine roots. But really, the critical root zone is, is near the base of the tree when we're talking about stability. Um, so when we have, um, when we have a tree, uh, as you've seen from some of the other researchers, when we have trees and we have uh, wind acting on them, uh, we have different things going on in the root systems. Um, we saw yesterday out in the field uh, those excavated root systems and on the windward side we tend to have more roots, tension roots holding the tree against um, pulling, uh, pulling forces and on the, on the other side, on the leeward side, we have roots in compression trying to push back against the wind. Um, so we know that when a tree is healthy and it has an intact root system, that root system has developed over time in response to the situation that the tree finds itself in. Um, but there's other factors that, that, um, that come into the stability of the trees. It's not only the, the health of the roots, but it's also the friction between the roots and the, and the soil um, that keeps the trees anchored. So when we look at the literature, um, two types of root failures are, are generally referenced. We have a hinge-type failure, um, and uh, we also have uh, what's called a rotational type of failure. So here, this is the uh, example of a hinge failure where uh, the roots break on one side and the tree tips over. The roots aren't actually broken on the other side. And from what I understand of a rotational failure, uh, the only time I've really seen examples of this is, is really in wet soils. And, and this is often described as a soil failure, but you know, from what I see, it's, it's both. Because you can't have the tree tip over if just the soil fails, the roots have to fail as well. So probably, from the way I see it, first the soil gives way and then the roots fail uh, because of that. Um, so we find... Um, especially when we're talking about urban situations, we find a lot of times we see like in these pictures where we have um, trees at the edge of a forest leaning out towards the sunlight or we have areas where um, you have an intact stand. It's been, um, some of the uh, trees have been left, so you have these trees on the edge that used to be in the, in the interior. And, and as Mark and his group were talking about, they get a lot of support from their neighbors. When you take that support away, Oftentimes we see these uh, trees failing out from, from the edge of the stand because they no longer have the support of their neighbors and their root systems didn't develop in the situation that they find themselves in. 
over time, if they're left there and they don't fall over, uh, because as we've, you know, we've said, trees have this uh, amazing ability to self-optimize, over time they can become wind firm again. But it's that, that time, that period just after clearing that, that trees can really fail at the roots. We also have, uh, again, you know, in the urban situation, we have um, the people factor. So this was after a, a microburst in the city of Toronto, and I happened to be uh, driving my car down the road, and, and trees started actually failing all over the place. I had to find a parking lot with no trees around for 10 minutes while these trees were all going down. And, you know, a classic microburst, 15 minutes later, the sun was out again. So this one was a great one where the whole, not great for the homeowner, but a great example of, uh, of, a, of an uprooting event that we want to avoid in an urban situation. This one was probably caused by the, you know, the, the effect of, of um, we got the, uh, here having, putting in this landscape feature, having a driveway, having a restricted root area on one side. And if those roots had been severed for the installation of those landscape features, right away they can become um, the tree becomes less firm because it doesn't have those roots. But also, we can also see over time uh, that it, it could, if it, if it doesn't adapt quickly, the roots that used to be there, if they're severed or, or damaged, they start to decay so that, um, in fact, the roots that were there um, can get uh, in a worse condition. And actually, over time, that those roots can decay back to the stem and initiate that um, decay at the base of the tree, which we commonly see. Um, again, in uh, work situations, this is, a, this is a site where I actually worked for the, um, the neighbor on this side of the line who was quite concerned about what was going on his neighbor's property. And we, he asked me to um, comment on this installation here in the planning stage. And I said, well, that's about the worst place you could put that drain if you uh, are concerned about trees. Because this tree here was already leaning. It was uh, leaning out from the other trees, again, an edge tree. And it had, you know, when I looked at it, it was pretty obvious it had all its support roots on that tension side. Well, they went ahead and did it anyway. and. Um, Quite predictably, that was the result. The tree actually fell over onto my neighbor's property, so he was uh, rather upset with this. Um, this was a pretty predictable failure situation. Um, just another one here. Um, this was another job that we worked on, and I actually did the initial arborist report for this property. And when we did the initial assessment with no construction there, we said, well, these tall trees which are actually sort of a heritage feature in the town of Oakville. It's an, it's an old um, uh, windbreak fence row that was probably around a farm property. And these trees, um, you know, actually the, the client told me, well, I bought the property because of these trees. I love these trees. Well, when I looked at the design, um, I said, you can see now the, the foundation wall. You know, on top of a 7,000 uh, square foot house, they needed to have a basement in their garage. And when I wrote... <laughs> when I wrote the report, I said to them, I said, you know, about these specific trees that you see in the picture, I said, you either have to move your foundation two meters further away from where you're planting it or remove the trees. Well, they did neither. And this was the result. Um, in fact, if I, if I just go back, they actually called me at this point in time and they said, Philip, Philip, we got a big problem. You know, they cut all the roots and we're really worried about these trees. And, and I said, well, you know, 
uh, these trees basically have to be removed at this point. They said, no, 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 we can't. We bought the property for the trees. What can you do? And I said, well, I happen to be equipped to do these tests, to do a tree pulling test, um, and we could test the safety of these trees. So this was the day that I went there to test them. I climbed them to install the, the hardware for our tests, and uh, that was on a Wednesday, and I was pretty busy, so on the weekend I, I processed the results and came up with a result that said, you know, you really should remove these trees because they're dangerous. I called on Monday morning, and uh, the first person on the phone was uh, the client's wife, and she said, uh, oh, Philip, hasn't anybody talked to you? And I said, no, nobody's talked to me. She said, let me put my husband on the line. And he said, Philip, um, two of these trees went down in a storm on Friday. And I said, well, those are probably the two that I called you to uh, tell you about removing. And so they fell over. And they fell over on the neighbor's house, not on their own property. So, um, you know, this has led to a, lo a lawsuit and, and quite, a, quite a big problem. But uh, you can see in, in, in this picture here, this is almost, uh, this is a sort of what may be described as a rotational failure, where you can see that the roots actually gave way on this side. The whole root plate turned in, in the ground. So, you know, these are real-life situations that we apply this work to. Um, so, as a Andy was explaining, uh, the methods we're working with are, are what we describe as engineering-based static loading. And you can see here, this is a, another the setup that we use. Um, and uh, Andy referred to this quickly, um, but I want to just, just go through the sort of the basics here that, that underlies um, this, whole, this whole methodology. And it's based on basic engineering <coughs> principles in the field of statics. Now, um, the methodology was originally developed by um, Zinn and Wesley. Uh, they started the work at the University of Stuttgart and continued it from there. And um, it considers, um, they tried to take these engineering principles that are applied to structures and see how they could apply them to trees. So in the, in the triangle of statics, um, to get a safety assessment of a structure, you need to have three things. First, you need to have the load. And in, when we talk about trees, as we've been hearing and, and seeing, the load that we're most concerned with is wind, wind loading on the crown. Um, the second factor that you need to consider is the form or the geometry of the structure. So when we're talking about trees and tree failure, we're usually talking about that stem, how hollow is it, or the root system, how damaged is it. Um, and then in, in the, the third part of the triangle, it's the material properties. And, and Andy showed um, you know, that a bunch of work was done on, on a variety of species to develop this compressive strength of green wood. Because if we look at, um, at a lot of the strength tables, therefore dried, kiln-dried wood for construction, that's very different than the fibers in the tree when they're alive. Um, so all that basic work was done to develop this methodology. So when we look at, um, as, as we mentioned, we use this method for stem breakage, which Andy was just talking about, and we also use it for uprooting, which was the focus of, of my research here. Um, so when we're, when we're using this method, the first thing is that we want to calculate that wind loading or the force, because we assume that um, if you sum up all the forces acting on the tree, in, uh, if we're talking about the root system, that's the force that the root system needs to be able to withstand. So we want to understand uh, whether that root system actually has that uh, ability to withstand those forces. 
We do a pull test, as you've probably, you all saw, I think, uh, the researchers and, and the folks who came out to the site. Uh, we want to measure the inclination. In this case, we also measure the force required to, to uh, develop that inclination. Um, and then we take a whole bunch of uh, other factors about the tree, the size of the tree, its height, the diameter. Um, and we take that all together and calculate a result. So first, talking about the wind loading, um, we need to know what the wind speed is and, and what the exposure of the tree is. Um, so when we have a tree like this one in, a, in an open setting, um, it has, you know, it's, it's open to the wind at all levels. And that would be like in, out in an open field in a farmer's field. I find myself looking at a lot of trees like this that are in the urban situation, more in a, in, uh, with many different structures around them. And of course, the wind loading is, is different in these trees. And we have to try, to the best of our ability, to account for these types of factors in our analysis. So uh, speaking about that exposure, we have these different types of terrain categories. First, the open sea, wide open. The highest wind forces would be generated, you know, perhaps on the coast at the edge of a lake or at the edge of the ocean. Then we have sort of a, a landscape away from the, away from the landscape, away from the, from a lake or from that wide open area and we get some friction from, from the ground and from trees, etc. And as we move closer into the urban center, maybe in the peri-urban area, we have like the suburb. So now we're getting uh, a different kind of wind situation. And of course, if we get right downtown, or right in the center of the city, we have tall structures and we can have trees actually far below the structures around them. Um, so these are indications for us of, of different wind profiles as we, um, as we uh, get into the, the highly urban situation, the, the maximum wind speed rises up because of friction on the ground. Um, and we also uh, have um, perhaps decreases in wind speed, but certainly increases in the gustiness of the wind because of and turbulence. So um, all of these things complicate the assessment, but to the best of our ability, we try to compensate for those in our assessments. Um, then we also got to consider the shape uh, or the geometry of the stem and the crown. So, you know, I guess the, the basic uh, easy way to describe this is if you have a short, fat tree, it's much more stable than a tall, skinny tree, just in its basic, um, basic form or geometry. Um, so if we have a tree that, that let's say, is on the, on the left side over here, and this progression may not be exactly correct. These last two could be, you could argue whether they're, uh, these two are different. But here we have the short, fat tree, and here we have the tall, skinny tree. And this tree, just in its structure, is inherently that much stronger. So if we have a tree that's inherently stronger in its basic safety, then in essence it can be more damaged uh, before it becomes a, a problem for its safety. And this is, I think, um, for me, something that was really important to learn. Um, I, when I started in risk assessment, I was working with drilling methodologies and simple formula. But those simple formula really don't account for this fact. So if you have a like, for example, the T over R, the one-third rule, T over, uh, the thickness of the, of the remaining wall over the radius of the tree equals one-third, that really um, um, works against the large trees because what it expects is as the tree gets fatter, you need more and more wood in order for it to be safe. 
But if the structure is inherently safe, then in fact it needs less and less wood. And, and we see this all the time in, in man-made structures. We have tons of hollow constructions. Most uh, steel light posts are hollow. They have fairly thin walls. And we don't worry about them breaking or falling over that much. So we have to sort of maybe think about that the same way with trees. Um, we also have uh, the influence of the, of the crown. So if you have foliage in the crown, this example here with the, with the man with the branch, if you have a branch in your hand full of foliage and you wave it around, you'll feel the resistance of the wind due to that foliage. If you take the foliage off and you do the same thing, there's much less resistance to that, to that movement. So um, when, we, when we look at our assessments, we consider sort of the, we try to look at the worst case scenario um, and, and that's oftentimes with um, deciduous trees in, in the fall when the temperature decreases, the um, uh, wind pressure is greater, and if you have a full foliage, you put that under a storm, perhaps you have rain loading, that's the worst case scenario. So if you have a damaged tree, it's less likely uh, to, to break over in the winter when it doesn't have any foliage on it. Um, so then uh, we also uh, look at the, so we, now we get sort of to the pull test. We want to measure the inclination. We want to me measure the pulling force. And the pulling force is a simulated wind load. It's not exactly how the wind would act. And we know that, of course, there's all kinds of dynamic effects. But to the best of our ability in a testing situation, it's pretty hard to, to test all of that dynamic motion. So the static pull is giving us more information uh, than we had before uh, towards the safety of the tree. So as, as we've discussed, we have, a, we have a, a, a winch at an anchor, as you've seen. So in, in the pulling line, we measure the force directly that we're putting on the tree. Uh, if we're looking at stem breakage, we look at the strain or the fiber compression. Um, and, and in my case, looking at uprooting, we're looking at the inclination uh, at the base of the tree. And so we have to, as, again, we, we've got to look at the, the wind loading, potential wind loading. We have to look at the specific um, tree species that we're working with, because as Andy mentioned, those wood properties vary across trees, and also consider the shape of the crown. Um, and I think you saw this before, but you know, we use these instruments here. So um, this down here is the inclinometer. We put that as close to the base of the tree as we can. We want to try and take out stem bending in our measurements there. We want to just get the inclination in the root plate. So we try and bring that um, instrument to the very base of the tree. And then we also have a uh, force meter in the pulling line. Um, and we have a, a winch that we can slowly generate that force and, and, and get our data. The new instruments that we're lucky to have now um, you know, record the data continuously. So instead of having several points and generating a curve from, from a few points, we now have you know, constant data collection, which makes, makes our, our methods easier to work with. And when we do the tests, uh, when we're looking for uh, testing the, the inclination of the tree, uh, we, the maximum inclination that we would ever test is a quarter of a degree. Um, and that's um, because we, from, from the original testing, we understand that in general, we see, uh, we start to see a lot of that uh, primary failure in the roots that, that Andy referred at around two and a half degrees. So for our test, what we do is limit our test to uh, one-tenth 
of that, of that breaking inclination. Um, so just a couple of examples of the setup. You see the inclinometer at the base of the tree, um, the anchorage in the tree here. And when we're, not, when we're doing these tests, we're not doing them to failure. So we put our force meter right at the tree uh, and try and get as, as close to the force that's being subjected to it. In difficult situations, we use a ground anchor um, because, uh, again, working in the urban situation, oftentimes it's difficult to find uh, the appropriate anchor point in the direction that you want to work. So we uh, often use a tree in that direction. If we can pull a truck into a driveway or somewhere to do it, we can use that, and we can also alternately use this kind of ground anchor. It does have some limitations on the force that we can pull. Um, and here you see the inclinometer at the base of the tree. Um, this one is right on a cut root, so that gives us uh, some interesting results. And this is where the, where the root wasn't cut. We place it again as close to the base as possible. And here's another you know, anchor setup, just so you see how we, how we do this. And then after we've done that, we've collected the information from the tree under this pulling test. Uh, then we, we put it into our analysis and, and, and calculate, try and calculate a result. So we spoke earlier about um, uh, the wind load analysis and, and the software. Uh, basically, if you look at this diagram, if you consider taking this tree, uh, we take a digital photograph of the tree for in the direction that we're pulling it. One minute? Oh, my goodness. Um, and, and we use this to try and estimate the, the total wind load in the tree. Um, we use this, um, what was called the generalized tipping curve uh, for our assessment. And what we see here is at, what we, what we see here is there's a really strong um, agreement on these kinds of measures. So we pull here to a quarter of a degree. What we know is there we've got um, 40 percent of the lo of the of the loading, so a lot of the loading happens in that low area, and we can use that to predict what happens. Of course, there's more variability at the top, so not all trees go at 2.5 degrees, but that low end really helps us to um, to look at these trees. So I guess I'm going to have to go quick. You saw this. We have the green zone. If the results come up in the green zone, then we're over. Um, 150%, so we have 50% in reserves over the potential storm force. Um, this is just a, a case study example. You can see here that the roots, uh, this was a sidewalk reconstruction. They just came and severed all the roots. Um, so this is a practical example. They asked us, are these trees safe or not? In fact, the foresters wanted us to do this test to prove to the engineers what they had done when they, when they did the sidewalk. So we did the wind load analysis. We, um, and, and the results for this tree, you can see, are clearly down in the red zone. Um, and we found that these trees only had safety ratings between 27 and 46%, way below the 100% uh, minimum or 150%. So we, we said these trees should really be removed. And just quickly, you saw yesterday, um, what, I, what I'm trying to do, what I have been trying to do with this research is to see if in one species in North America, um, what the uprooting behavior actually is. And does, um, is the force required? Does, is it appropriate, the method that we're using? Does it, does, do these trees fall in line with that? So we set up the, the test with the anchorage. We put the inclinometers at the base of the tree, and we start to pull it. And you can see here a series, slowly but surely, the roots are pulling out of the ground and breaking. Um, 
until we have the tree right over. And um, here is just uh, one example of the results. This, uh, this, this, um, this output actually has the results from two trees shown, but we have force on this scale and we have inclination here. And Andy talked about that asymptote where, where the, the force levels out. And here you can see it's somewhere between 2.4 and 2.7 degrees. So we're going to uh, process the results and uh, get that out, hopefully uh, in some form of a paper sometime in the near future. So thank you very much. That concludes Philip Van Wassener's presentation on using tree pulling tests for assessing tree stability. If you would like to learn more about tree structure and stability, you can find additional information at the ISA website, including the photographic guide to the evaluation of hazard trees in urban areas by Nelda Matheny and Jim Clark. If you would like to receive CEUs for today's talk, you can go to the ISA website at isa-arbor.com, click on the Education and Research tab, then Online Learning and Online Quizzes. After you have registered for the quiz, you will need to enter the code for today's lecture, which is SA7474. Again, SA7474. If you have other topics that you would like us to provide podcasts for, please feel free to contact Luana Vargas, the producer of this series at the ISA office in Champaign, Illinois, or me, Tom Smiley, host of Science of Arboriculture at the Bartlett Tree Research Lab. Remember to subscribe to this podcast series and join us next time for another episode of Science of Arboriculture. Trees in every country. Trees, you know we can. Work together and learn what we need to meet the challenge. Traditional skills and modern techniques. Whatever language you speak, you have a world to offer every day. Climb with the ISA.